Hey guys, Jason Seitz here, your resident paramedic, firefighter, nurse on the Back to Basics podcast. Uh, I'm here along with my brother, Christopher Seitz, a ER physician. And our job on this podcast is to take um, complicated medical topics and break them down back to basics. But this week, you're tuning in for a very special crossover episode in which Chris and I will be guest appearing on the crossover event of the century, bigger than the Avengers Infinity War. It's going to be EMS 2020 and best Back to Basics coming together to review a case. So if you're not familiar with EMS 2020, uh, they contribute a lot of our content on Guardian CME. Uh, they are great friends and colleagues of ours, Chris Finkstein and Spencer Oliver. They're both flight paramedics. Uh, what they do is they take submitted cases on their podcast and they review them. And sometimes they have some guest stars along. So this time it'll be Chris and I. Uh, so check it out. Uh, as always, go to guardiancme.com if you'd like a credit for this. You can check that out there. And uh, we hope to see you uh, next time for another uh, more traditional Back to Basics episode. But uh, in the meantime, stay tuned. We got lots coming for you. Stay sweet. This podcast is hosted by Chris Finkston and Spencer Oliver. They are both experienced paramedics. They've done everything from 911 ground ambulance to volunteer fire department work and are both currently flight paramedics. This podcast reviews scenarios based on real calls run by real out-of-hospital clinicians. Details are changed to protect the privacy of those involved and to present educational opportunities to the listener. This podcast is EMS 2020. Welcome to another episode of EMS 2020, and this is the crossover event of the year. Uh, probably, I don't know, two to three times bigger than when the Family Guy and Simpsons episode crossover event happened, if you guys remember that. Our shadow uh, is just over the top of that, because today we have the host uh, from the Back to Basics podcast, and uh, you guys have probably heard us talk, I don't know, maybe once uh, to one million times about Guardian CME, where you can go get free continuing education, uh, which everybody needs uh, if you want to, you know, keep your job. Uh, and uh, if you like our content, it's on there. You go get free CEs. There's also other content by these guys with the Back to Basics podcast. And uh, yeah, please welcome Jason and Chris Seitz. Once a doctor, once a firefighter. We're not going to tell you who till the end of the episode. You have to guess who. <laughs> You'll never know. No, actually, so I was thinking about this. To me, this crossover, it's like, do you remember when you were a kid and like all of a sudden Batman and Robin were fighting with the Ninja Turtles? Yeah. Right. That was good stuff. And I'll leave it up to the viewer to figure out which one of us is a Batman. Yeah. Oh, there you go. I like that. Oh, I, I just put a black hood on all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, uh, he not trying to influence the vote, but <laughs> he does the rest of this podcast and swear to me. <laughs> <laughs> No, well, thank you. We, we appreciate you guys uh, having us on. It's always a, always a pleasure. And yeah, we, uh, we've got our, our back to basics podcast and your guys' podcast on guardian CME for free CAPSI credits. So yeah. definitely check that out. GuardianCME.com. Uh, but yeah, thanks for, thanks for having us guys. Oh no, we, we're just glad you guys continue to associate yourselves with us. So that's great. Um, yeah, it's one, one of the best things about guardian CME, just to keep pushing that, um, because it is, it is great is that it's not like, there's a lot of things like, Oh, it's free CE, but then you get like two credits and then you got to pay more. That's not what this is. 
everything is free. All you got to do is log in also free and uh, yeah, have a good time. So uh, with that, uh, I'll get kind of our other housekeeping uh, out of the way. Each and every episode, including this episode, will get its own post on our social media. We are on Facebook at EMS 20 slash 20, and you can find us on Instagram at EMS 2020 show. If you would like your call to be featured on EMS 2020, don't send an email to EMS 2020 podcast at gmail.com because we have a new form that you can fill out. It is also available through links and our social media. It's really easy to find with a pinned post on our Facebook. And if you go to our beacons page, which are linked in our bio on the Instagram, you can find the form there. Many of you have found the form and we really appreciate yes. you guys using that form that has made things so much easier for us. So we really appreciate you guys doing that. Uh, let's see what else. Oh, with that, please check out our YouTube channel, rapid sequence information. Uh, we recently put out an episode. It's one of our better ones about uh, what may or may not have happened to Damar Hamlin. We talk a little bit about commotion cortis and what causes that, uh, as well as we talk about what we think may have been ignored, uh, is the fact that um, we had some EMTs on that field under immense amounts of pressure who still did the right thing and actually pulled off a really good code. And uh, it sounds like Damar Hamlin is doing much better. That is in no small part to both the uh, athletic trainer that's on the field who started CPR and the EMS responders who were on the field that uh, took it from there. So uh, yeah. with that, let's uh, let's briefly introduce you guys as well. For anyone that doesn't know you guys, uh, Chris Seitz, you are a doctor, right? Like a real one. That's what they they. There's, they say that they, they're letting me keep those credentials for now. It's we'll see, you know, well, you know, <laughs> as they recently proved God, where was that? I want to say it was Louisiana. There was a paramedic who was faking himself uh, as a doctor recently. Yeah. So the message is that really like anyone can be a doctor. And also what is a doctor really? You know, I don't yeah. know. Supposedly. Uh, yeah, no. So I'm a, I'm a board certified emergency physician. Uh, I also am the CEO and chief medical officer for guardian. And that includes not only our educational uh, content, but also Guardian Medical Direction. Uh, we do a lot of medical oversight across the country. Uh, Way cool. So, yeah, I still work yeah. some shifts clinically. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. All right. So that was so that was George Santos sites. And uh, now let's, right, talk right. To, uh, let's talk to Jason. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. And I'm Batman. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, wait. <laughs> uh, I'm Jason. I uh, I'm a firefighter paramedic and a nurse. So uh, I run education full time uh, at our business, but uh, work as a nurse on the side. And I have about 10 years of experience as a firefighter medic. So awesome. So we have everything covered. Yeah. We have firefighter medic. We have transport medics. We have an ER physician. This is fantastic. Uh, so Spence, uh, please hurry up and go. I don't know why you've been waiting and not just yeah, starting the episode. Yeah, for, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, uh, so in this episode, we are going to talk about uh, cardiogenic shock, bradycardia, and then pacing or presser treatments. Uh, so prepare your bodies because here we go. <clears throat> bodies. Prepared. Welcome to another amazing episode of Hex Kitchen. Back to the EMS 2020 edition. Hex this Kitchen. Week, yeah. Now you decide to censor out of all the things we've said. I'm sorry. Out of all the shit we've said in the past. Now you want to censor the word heck. Okay. It's really more that I don't want. Gordon Ramsay scares me and I don't want him suing us. So here we go. This week, a medic from the red kitchen and one from the blue kitchen will have to work together to win the surprise patient challenge. But with each kitchen cooking up different treatment ideas, will this end up a recipe for disaster? <laughs> Guest judge and master doctor Chris Ramsites and RN medic firefighter Jason Wolfgang Sites will ultimately have to decide who advances and who will leaves Hex Kitchen forever. 
I, I, I watched the hell out of this. Yeah, oh, yeah, dude, totally. Don't we have to uh, burn your picture when you lose at the end? Isn't that how that show goes? <laughs> That's definitely it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm expecting some flame. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, in the red kitchen, we have uh, Chef Red. Chef Red has been a paramedic for two years at the time of this call, with several years as an EMT prior. Uh, fun fact, they were in the military and worked as part of a search and rescue uh, group, uh, cool. and they got to work on the helicopters that have all the space for activities, unlike civilian EMS helicopters, where if you want to start an IV, you have to like borrow your pa- like your patient's leg or your partner's leg to open up stuff. Yeah, yeah. it's a very all intimate affair. So are they fly like the 60s? I, I dude, it was huge. That's all I know. They're yeah. like, yeah, you can get up and walk around. And I'm like, wow, is, you, can, uh, you could get up. Wow. Uh, yeah. I did some flight medicine as a resident. And I remember like they would put me in like the co-pilot seat. This is the only spot for you, right? Yeah. This is yeah. like potentially open spot, but you, and it, the, the most interesting thing, like when you, when you first start, you don't realize how small these things are. And you, yeah. you, you, I get in, I'm so excited. And you know, we fly there, we get the patient in, I get back in. And the, I feel like the patient's face is like breathing in my ear. Like, like, oh, yeah. it's like that. Cl- I'm like, oh, wow, this is a little more cramped than I thought. You know? <laughs> uh, Doc, Doc, I'm not going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. So working with uh, Chef Red is the medic from the blue kitchen. Chef Blue is a multi-decade paramedic who helps train new medics and oversees operations in their EMS area. So speaking of their EMS area, let's talk about it. Welcome to Hex Kitchen EMS Service. This, this third service EMS agency with less than 10 ambulances plus stations serving their uh, county's guests in a 450 square mile area with a nice mix of rural, urban, and suburban uh, patches. Each ambulance can serve ALS treatments with a typical crew combination of medic basic or medic medic on each unit. Uh, There are several sous chefs in this kitchen called captains who can travel around ensuring the quality of care. And uh, each station also has a lead chef on as well uh, as lead medics on every shift at each station. All right. So, so in, in non kitchen terms, uh, are are these, I, are there chase cars going on? Like what, what's kind of going on? Like yeah, they, they essentially, they have like BCs that uh, are battalion chiefs that kind of cruise around. Gotcha. Uh, and then they have, you know, lieutenants uh, on each uh, at each station. Gotcha. 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 Or and so lead chefs don't ruin the, don't ruin it, man. Gotcha. I was, honestly, I was understanding the analogy better than I am now that you made it realistic. It's- <laughs> yeah. Now it's just, it's, it's kind of like the, the, you know, it's no, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Well, in Hex Kitchen, each shift uh, serves patients during the hours of breakfast, brunch, lunch, late lunch, old people dinner time, regular people's dinner time, late night munchies time, and early hours of old person breakfast time. So that's 24 hours of coverage. (laughs) That sounds good. Yeah, uh, the crews can deliver to the Denzians of Hex Kitchen uh, to several hospitality hospital Denzians. Den- I thought it was denizens. Denizens? Yeah. yeah. That might be it. Oh, yeah. Ask the doctor. Doctor, what do you think? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Doctor of grammar. <laughs> yeah. Denizens. I, I concur. I concur. Okay. Perfect. 
I concur. Why didn't I concur? Uh, Denzians of Hex Kitchen to several hospitality hospitals. Uh, hospital choice isn't an issue for this episode, as the hospital the patient is taken to does all the things. Uh, there are several support agencies which do have like paid and volunteer firefighting, uh, and they can insist they can assist in cooking up BLS level treatments when needed. Uh, and don't jump off the analogy and then go back to cooking up. Yeah. yeah, you're throwing me yeah. for a loop. Like the hospitals are <laughs> all I know hospitality is that I'm hospitals. Like, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, oh, good. Gotcha. Hospitality hospitals. I could don't worry, I had you. Uh yeah, and then uh, there's uh, BLS fire agencies that uh can respond to calls. So uh here we go. <laughs> it's been quite a shift in Hex Kitchen so far. It's a bright and sunny day. Blue and Red have been working together and have run several warm-up calls already, uh, preparing for the upcoming patient challenge. Red Chef will be taking the lead on the next call that comes in. It's 1457, and dispatch announces it's once again time to open Hex Kitchen for a Delta-level unconscious-slash-fainting patient. Okay. A BLS... Yep. A BLS fire service is dispatched to respond as well to assist. As red and blue respond, additional details are added to the ticket. This is a witness syncopal episode of a 75-year-old male who is now awake, pale, and diaphoretic. Okay. Blue, blue, chef, blue chef is driving code five. That's lights and sirens with the unnecessary addition of high speeds. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Actually, really quick, can I cut you off and just talk about uh, Delta response really quick for people who may not know? I mean, you were going to anyway, so go yeah, ahead. Yeah, that's true. Okay, perfect. Um, so really quick, it's Delta response. Uh, if you guys listen to our show, you probably heard us talk about this before, or you may have it in your system. Delta response is a uh, part of a system where the response is tiered, and there's usually a alpha through delta. And depending on where you're at, this is going to be customized for the area that determines the resources that are going to be uh, sent. And so an alpha response is usually like a BLS transfer, something very low acuity and then acuity. And then as you get closer to Delta, it ramps up from there. These systems are great uh, in areas where you may not have uh, like where it's not necessarily a paramedic saturated area. And so you can't afford to just send every resource to every call every time. And so this way you're sending resources that are more closely matched to what's needed. Uh, the plus side is you have paramedics that are uh, or ALS and more resources available uh, for calls that actually need it. The downside is, of course, with this every now and again, you're getting a mistriage and people are less resources are going to show up that are needed. So there's plus and minuses to it. Um, so, yeah, but in this case, it's a Delta response. So I'm guessing all the things are going. All the things are going. Yep. Okay, perfect. Uh, so as Red Chef reads through the notes, they advise Blue, hey, this sounds like the real deal. Remember your training. Blue laughs. Red is considering the big killers for this patient. Arrhythmias, strokes, STEMIs, okay. uh, based on these call details. <laughs> All right, so they arrive first to the patient's residence four minutes later. It's a suburban setting, and the patient is located in a single-story ranch-style home. Red and Blue exit their ambulance and grab their monitor and kit. Uh, the kit contains IVIO stuff, bandaging stuff, ALS and BLS medications, trauma, airway equipment, and oxygen bottle attachments. Uh, in this kitchen, fire will bring in the stretcher from the ambulance, which is uh, where the O2 bottle will make its, <laughs> make its appearance as well as it's secured to the stretcher. Yep. I know. I know. 
Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I giggle now because I have to ask every time. And uh, yeah. yeah, no, I'll tell yeah. you. So here's the thing is, is we have, okay, if you have two auction bottles and one's in the stretcher, I don't care. That's fine. But please have an auction bottle with a regulator, mind you, in the kit that you bring in because you can't always get the stretcher to where you need to go. But the kit, you can. And we've had- I, I agree. I disagree. You don't need the regulator. You could just open it at the patient's face. You probably actually get air. Just stick it right in the mouth. You know, <laughs> that'll do it. It's uh, so please cold. Don't, please don't do that. Don't do that. All right. Uh, as blue and red make their way inside, they are met by the patient's wife. The wife tells the crew that the patient just got back from a 25 mile bike ride, walked in the door and then collapsed. The patient was reported to be unconscious for about one to two minutes before waking up and reporting that they're having severe chest pain. They then okay. crawled into a chair. The crew followed the spouse to the bedroom where the patient is located. And here's their doorway assessment. This is a 75 year old male, five foot eight or 172 centimeters, weighing approximately 165 pounds. And I didn't do the kilograms on that. Hold on. God damn it. Can't you do it in your head, Fly Medic? Yeah. <laughs> I don't do that kind of stuff in my head. I don't do math in my head. That's that's danger zone. Highway to... It's a 75 kilos. Yeah. 75 kilos. I did that in my head. Uh, yeah. mm. I didn't. Yeah. I did. <laughs> what were you looking down for? <laughs> I'm writing on my whiteboard. That's uh, all. You were, yeah, counting your fingers. <laughs> that's seven... Yeah. Have an uh, abacus under the desk. <laughs> so, according to uh, Red Chef, the patient would look like a healthy, active 75 year old guy if he weren't so pale and diaphoretic. Uh, the patient is sitting slouched in the chair with their eyes closed. Uh, they are noted to be breathing normally, and there is evidence of urinary incontinence. From the doorway, there does not appear to be any evidence of trauma. So, all right, let's pause here. What are your concerns, uh, treatment assessment priorities for this patient? Uh, we'll start in order. Uh, Chris. Which one? Crispy. Crispy. All right. Uh, so, yeah. So anytime you have a syncopal uh, patient, I do like how they were pre-gaming and they were talking about like what could cause that. Uh, here's my opinion on syncope. Almost anything can cause it. There's just such a large number of things that can uh, cause somebody to pass out or lose consciousness that you really need to treat these like any other altered LOC and start working on your AIOU tips criteria or as I like to do on this show, the, you know, does it have fuel uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so for me, the big, the big concerns is going to be uh, figuring out why he passed out in the first place. Uh, one thing I said, they, they said no evidence of trauma, like from the doorway. I'm not sure what trauma you can assess, like from the doorway. Like, you know what I mean? Like no evidence of sure. trauma. Like, oh, there's no dents in the ground. Like, I don't, I don't know. What <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm going to get there. I mean, he looks uninjured mm -hmm. aside from the fact that he's pale, yeah. diaphoretic and, you know, like, but there, there's no obvious, yeah. like, gotcha. You know, uh, he's not bleeding. So yeah, it's not bleeding. There's okay. no deformities. So with any altered LSC, especially when we or any syncopal episode, I'm going to go straight to the basics. I'm going to start with ABCs. I want to know how his airway is, how he's breathing, and what his circulation looks like. So what's his heart rate? Right. What's his blood pressure? What's he look like on the monitor? And then from there, we're going to get things like, you know, CBG. I like to throw in a stroke assessment at one point, usually on, on these as well, but that's maybe not be a priority if he's not exhibiting any outward stroke symbols, uh, symbols, uh, symptoms mm -hmm. right up front, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. probably should be done before he gets to the ER. Um, and yeah, that's where I would start. 
Those are my priorities. All right. Jason Wolfgang Seitz, what are your thoughts? Uh, I don't want to get pee on me. So that's, yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah, I failed right off the bat. That's experience right there, people. <laughs> no, um, I think so. Twenty-five mile bike ride. Yeah. Like I'm making an assumption here is probably a pretty healthy looking guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's diaphoretic. We don't know if that's because there's some sort of issue going on, or if he just maybe like 25 miles, so he's diaphoretic, right? Yeah. But I'm, yeah. Like when it came to, is he altered? I missed that part. Are we not? Uh, he is sitting slouched with his eyes closed. For, okay. This is sort of that doorway assessment. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so after the ABCs, I'd, want, I'd, I'd be concentrating on like mental status. Like, where are we at with mental status? Because if he is altered, there's a lot of things it could be. And like Chris said, we could we could do a Cincinnati, things like that to try to rule out stroke. But I'd be thinking things like you just buck, biked 25 miles, you're diaphoretic. You peed yourself. Is this a sugar issue? Is this a seizure? You know, this right. Is, so, um, yeah, the incontinence is actually pretty telling, which is, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was out. He was out, out. Like, yeah, that's, yeah. uh, yeah. Um, well, by or he miles, just doesn't, or he just doesn't give a. That's a possibility too. <laughs> Could be drunk, you know. Uh, well, I'm just surprised that biking 25 miles makes you guys sweaty. That's crazy. That doesn't make me sweat at all. I just... he's like, so maybe he's well, biking home from the bar. That explains the incontinence and the passing out in the doorway. But uh, it's true fact. The bike doesn't have one of those breathalyzer things to use it. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the no, kickstand well, stays down until you breathe in, then it pops up. <laughs> Did wife witness the wife witness the syncope at the door, correct? Yeah. How yeah. convenient, by the way. You made it all the way there and then passed out the doorway. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I, mean, I think that goes along with the whole there's no evidence of trauma. Like wife would know if he conked his head. So true. Yeah. All right. Uh Dr. Ramsites. Yeah, so I look at it a little bit differently as a doctor, I think, because like I'm thinking here, all right, I need four nurses, right. a really nice room. I need more room. I need more yep. room. I need Snaps. four nurses. I need someone who's going to touch this guy. I mean, I, right. I, uh, so you know, I'm just like that. My a priority raise, is different. Here. A raise, a good night's sleep. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, no. So, yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you guys are, everything everybody else is saying here with the, what's actually also very concerning to me is the chest pain. Like she said, he's having chest pain. After right. Me. Like that's not normal. Right. I mean, when yep. I say normal for syncope, you know what I mean? Like, Plenty of people pass out for lots and lots of different reasons. Obviously, our job is to rule out the most worrisome. The fact that he's like almost newly symptomatic after is a is a big concern to me, right? So I want to get him on that the monitor right away, and, and obviously check all those things um, and get that EKG fast, just because like that's that's that doesn't fit as. I mean, it could, but I'm just saying, like I said, that would that would be a yeah. big flag for me. Yeah. It could be symptomatic. It's what you know, like some people get symptomatic before and then pass out. It almost sounds like he like passed out and then got symptomatic, which is just different, you know? Yeah. yeah. Different. So yeah. All right. Well, continuing on, Red Chef goes over to the patient to start an assessment. So level of consciousness, GCS is documented as 14. Uh, they're saying that the uh, eyes just open to uh, verbal, but the patient follows all commands and responds appropriately. Uh, the patient is alert and uh, oriented, though, again, like they, they describe somewhat slow to respond, uh, just sort of delayed in their response. Um, there is equally weak bilateral movements in all extremities. Okay. Uh, the patient's airway is patent. Uh, 
They report normal respirations at this time, uh, and lung sounds are oscillated and reported to be clear, and there is no radial pulse present. Uh, the fire department shows upright? up. He is sitting. Yes. Okay. He's still upright then. Okay. Yep. Uh, the fire department shows up and uh, they are assigned to get vitals and a blood pressure. Well, red places the patient on the monitor. So uh, I'm going to jump into the history of present illness while fire is setting all that up. Uh, and here's what we have uh, from the patient and the wife. Uh, the patient normally does a 15 to 20, a 20 mile bike ride, but today decided to do a 25er. Uh, they deny having any issues during the ride and they remember the whole event. Uh, they remember getting home and then just remember waking up on the floor, reporting six out of 10 crushing substernal chest pain. They deny any shortness of breath, nausea, and per the wife, the patient does have a history of seizures, but they didn't witness any seizure activity with this uh, collapse. Well, this okay. sucks. <laughs> yeah. Guys, <laughs> everything is still a possibility. <laughs> for past medical history, uh, the patient has uh, a seizure disorder for which the patient takes Lamictal. Um, and wife isn't sure what the disorder is exactly because the patient hasn't had a seizure in a long time. Okay. Uh, so they're just like, I don't I don't know what is I don't know what these seizures are because they did try and suss out like, hey, does he respond with seizures or is it, you know, full body tonic clonic movements? Um, and for allergies, the patient is allergic to penicillin. All right. So uh, Red Chef is trying to wipe down the patient with a towel because the electrodes are refusing to stick because to this day, we still haven't invented electrodes that will stick to diaphoretic skin. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and oof, right. And they hear the fire department inflate, deflate, inflate, deflate, uh, inflate the cuff. And until the, they just tell the crew like, yeah, hey, you know what? That's all I need to know, because this further confirms that the patient is incredibly hypotensive. Uh, they do get the four lead. And this is the rhythm that they see on the monitor. Let me pull up my uh, screenshot of that here. This one, yeah. All right. So while you're doing that, like I'll just say, I don't know, but like for me, not having any symptoms, I'll read it again, like having no symptoms before a syncopal event increases my suspicion tremendously that something more serious is going on, right? Like if you yeah. tell me like, oh, I wasn't really feeling well, I was kind of nauseous, I got kind of dizzy, and then I passed out, I'm a little more assured then if you told me like I was perfectly fine and just collapsed, right? Like, like that is right. more worrisome to me in a lot of ways. So yeah. we're working out. So we know our body's under stress, but this workout is, is fairly regular for this patient. My yeah. big thing is like, I, like we, we said we had a left-sided weakness or right-sided. No, no, no. He, he has no. a weak, weakness on all sides. He's just weak okay. in general. Bilateral weakness. Okay. Cause Bilateral like, weakness. Yeah, we're not running like a stroke severity scale at this point. Like, no. We, yeah. We, uh, so I'm looking right. at that EKG. Do you want do you want opinions now, or do you want me to hold off? No, go ahead. Give your opinions on what you're seeing. Uh, it sucks. Um, but uh, if we look you at the suck. middle one here, I don't know what lead that is. But to me, you have a really clear uh, what I would call a complete heart block. Because take a look at those P waves. Those P waves are all marching in rhyme with each other. The only time you can't really see it is when there's a big old. Uh, uh, T wave right there with that depression right afterwards. And then you have the QRS is kind of on their, their own beat. It's bradycardic. Uh, you've got some pretty clear depression or 
what you call, I guess, like uh, bowler's hat sign, uh, Spence up there. And, uh, and then you've got elevation. <laughs> looks like elevation down here in the, uh, in the lower one. Bowler's hat sign, by the way, is not a real thing. It's something we made up on an episode. So that's just kind of the, that's for the people yeah. who listen more common. So uh, <laughs> I don't think that you would recognize a block because everything looks so regular and you can't. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say too, I would say too, like another thing I would just point out is that like he's hypotensive, he's diaphoretic, and like we're seeing like ST disruption. That could be that doesn't necessarily we'll see where the case goes. That doesn't necessarily mean he's having a heart attack. He could just be having ischemia from poor perfusion. I mean, like there's so like right. so you can see it is. I think sometimes people think like ST elevation, it's an MI across the board. Mm-hmm. No, it's a sign of ischemia, right? Yeah. So right. hypo severe hypotension and bradycardia can cause ischemia itself. Um, so just something to point out, I think. No, that's yeah. a good, that's a brilliant observation. I, I think one of the things here uh, that would lead me away from uh, like a third degree heart block, and this is sort of like it, it doesn't matter in this situation if it's a third degree, second degree, uh, in, in just slow. in that it's slow. And that's really all we care about. This mm. is something that you kind of I think you look at after. But uh, this to me looks more like a uh, second degree type two, just because of the the PR interval in the one lead we have is uh, uh, it's regular here before that QRS. And it, and that and it is long. That's that's true. I think yeah. the hard part about this one, about whether you're going to call it a second degree type two or or a complete heart block is that you don't have enough info between the QRS. Comp- you know what I mean? Like normally you're able to see uh, it, uh, you're, you're able to see a few more examples before you drop a beat. But if it is a, a high degree Mobitz, then you have or a secondary type two then you're dropping every other beat and that kind of makes it difficult. But like you said, at the end of the day, it's a high, as far as EMS is concerned, it's a high degree high heart block. Right. Well, I'll be honest yeah. with you too. Even like, I'll go as far as to say, like, even as far as cardiology is concerned, right? Like, right. like, like I could yeah. see myself sitting in the ER and me and the cardiologist could debate this all day too. They're symptomatically in, in a block, like the symptom part of it, trumps the rest right the fact that there's right 100 doesn't that nah, doesn't really matter anymore because like the, yeah. i think sometimes people see and jason and i talked about this even on our bar, our podcast but like people think that like these types of like even like this one like has a diagnosis to it like you would be surprised how many times i'm like man i'm not really sure let me ask the cardiology and they're like i mean it could be this or this and let's yeah, right. even like i think sometimes people think that like interpreting ekgs like you either can or you cannot right and, like it's it's an art that like no one has truly, I mean, like, like I've disagreed with cardiologists. I've had multiple cardiologists disagree with one another to your point at the end of the day, symptomatic, there's a block. Yeah. Like that's the problem. Like Spencer said, like it's not not really about having a block. Anything we do in the field isn't fixing the block. We're fixing the subsequent bradycardia from the block. Right. Yeah. What's mistaken for a third degree is, a first degree or a second degree type one, because it looked that yeah. ever PR interval looks like it might right. be associated with the, so what I try to look for all the time is warped QRSs. Cause you want to try to find a P wave that's landing on a QRS and then it makes the QRS look funny. So oh, nice. And yeah. you can kind of see that in this, some of the QRS complexes look a little bit different in that second one. Um, oh yeah. So that's where you can kind of tell that the P waves may, might be marching through. 
Gotcha. Oh, gotcha. Uh, yeah. This is and just to kind of solidify the, this point, not to delve on too much in the teenage heartbreak episode, one of our recent episodes. Um, I may or may not have gone on a lengthy rant about uh there's not a lot of point in sitting on scene trying to diagnose exactly what it is. Right. Uh, and in that particular episode, there were two hospitals. Uh, you know, it was severe enough to where it was obviously going to be a licensed cyber response. There were two hospitals close by. One can't help the patient uh, if it is a STEMI. The other one absolutely can. And I'm like, well, we know we're going to that hospital because there's no way you're going to roll into a hospital that's, you know, a, you know, an inch taller than a than a critical access hospital with this. So. Well, and to Stop. Jason's point too, yeah. like it doesn't even matter if there's a block; it's right. bradycardic and symptomatic. Well, and yeah. up until we've stay, even up until we've stabilized the patient in the ER, I'm not diving in to try to figure out more on a CTG. I just yeah. think that, that would that would be yeah. detrimental to the patient. <laughs> so and, and we all agree. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah this is just one of those. Oh, sorry, sorry guys. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> This is one of those pitfalls uh, from paramedic education, uh, at least in some of the programs that I've been a part of where you're, for, you're like, they're like, you must identify what this rhythm is. Right. And it's really it's not again, it's not about the rhythm necessarily. It's really just recognizing that, hey, like, hey, this is too slow. Um, and so this is where people can get into trouble where they're like, I need to figure out what this is before I can proceed. Um, no, and don't. that's that's, that's that would be the mistake. And this is fitting for our for our theme of this episode, but I hate the comments about cookbook me medics all the time, because right. what happens is people say, don't be a cookbook me medic. You need to know all the background. Like you need to be able to make the recipe your own way kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, you know what? Like what turns into bad cooks, people that don't start with a cookbook, right? If right. You, start it as <laughs> you understand the education behind this. If I had one of my guys come to me and show me this and go, what do you think? Do you think it's a this or do you think it's a that? I would picture myself coming to doctor sites and saying, what do you think of this? And him telling me this is a, an unstable bradycardia. That's all that matters. Right. It doesn't yeah, right. Really, like you got to know what's behind that. And that's where it like, drives me crazy when people are like, you got to know all the nuances of EKGs, not just the algorithms. No, yes. Start with the algorithms because that's yeah. what we do. like we're supposed yeah. to call them in the ER and let them think kind of more of the complicated stuff and move down the line. But initially, like our job is stabilization and resuscitation. And this yeah. is an unstable patient. So what are we going to do for them? It doesn't matter if it's if they're bradycardic because they're hypotensive, if they're bradycardic because their heart's janked, if they're bradycardic because they yeah. got struck by lightning. Like I'm treating bradycardia <clears throat> the same way, you know. Well, to that point, I love it too. And like even in the ER, like we as ER doctors are like trying to like calculate out what like push dose pressures. And like meantime, someone's like in the corner doing like one-handed CPR. Like it's like like you're not doing even the bare minimum, really. Yeah. So who cares if it's I don't know. It's, <laughs> yeah. I think when people say don't be a cookbook medic, the way I I, I interpret that, and I think it's the way you're probably interpreting it too, is just to understand that we have algorithms and things to follow. Sometimes patients will not fit into the algorithm, and you might have to think well, outside the algorithm. That to me is what yeah. yeah. You don't have to be bound to it, but yeah, I, I it's one of those things where it's like, if you're going to vary from that algorithm, you need to be able to tell me that you at least went down it before you do to hop off. Well, right. And yeah. like, it's the, it's the, just because there's such thing as gray doesn't mean we shouldn't recognize white is white and black is black. Right. right. Like, like when something yes. that obvious, like get to the point with it. Right. And I think what happens is in our egos, especially in free hospital <laughs> medicine in our egos, yeah. we start being like, well, this could be brugadas. So we really right. need to think about, you know, and we're tightening our <laughs> I love that. utility belt 
thing and we're, you know, button up our, our freaking polo and we got our cargo pants on because we were at the IC conference recently. We take our right. Thomas shears out of the holster. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and our, our, right. our bandolier of uh, Chewbacca. Uh, yeah. yeah, we're ready Dude, to go. I, I totally want a bandolier of just <laughs> yeah. syringes. Yeah, so, that. <laughs> so we all agree. We all agree. So we all agree. Prophylactic defibrillation. Moving on. Wonderful. All right. Yep. Good. I'm glad we got a doctor on board with that. Let's go forward. All right. Wait, so, wait, wait, wait. wait. Yeah, yeah. Nah, just, just say, yeah, we're good. I can hear it. Fold the cheese. All right. Uh, so Blue Chef, on seeing this uh, rhythm, immediately gets out their IV kit and starts an 18-gauge IV in the left AC as Red puts on the auto cuff and the 12 lead. Uh, the regular blood pressure cuff uh, that the fire department was trying to use is instead used to start infusing uh, saline into the patient. Uh, Red Chef calls this a third-degree AV block with the uh, with an underlying infarct pattern. Um, and this is the 12 lead. I'll once again, share my screen here. Okay. Well, that's gross. Okay. So let's take a look at this. Um, so we'll start with uh, this right down here. So I don't see, there's not really a QRS in one, two or three to really look at until you get to right to the very end. Um, mm. It's kind of hard to see where the lead division is on this EKG, but mm -hmm. I would say, I, I believe this, oh, there's lead division right there. I found it. Okay. If anyone else is having trouble, it's right along here. So to me, it looks like there may be depression here in one. If I'm going with the isoelectric line here, may have a few boxes of depression. Head on down to two, may have a box of elevation there. If we're going with the PR interval as our isoelectric. Uh, down in three, I think we have a lot of elevation again. So that's two, three. And I'm going to just jump over to AVF just to see if there's a spoiler alert. And there is. So it looks like we have elevation in two, three and AVF. Uh, ABR, ABL, uh, ABL's got some depression there. Moving on to these leads, we've got depression in, looks like V2, V3, and these leads over here look meh, fine. V1, kind of too close to tell on here. Uh, so I'd be worried about a uh, inferior MI on this guy with possible right side ventricular involvement. All right. Does everybody concur? Sure. I, I wouldn't go that far even yet. Because I don't, I don't know like if, if his symptomatic bradycardia is just causing ischemia. I would have, yes, it's causing ischemia to the inferior region. You know what I mean? Like the, the regionality is correct. Sure. But again, like until I get this guy sped up, like that could all resolve once we get, you know what I mean? So true. Mm. This, this criteria for a STEMI alert, but because of the background, we would want to treat the unstable bradycardia first. Absolutely. That, that's all. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. so I, and I think that, that that's kind of a good point there is, and this is one of the things that, that I really like about EMS uh, and, and truly the only reason I didn't become a doctor, because obviously I could. Um, it's not that hard. Yeah. <laughs> nice. There's a, there's a paramedic doing it right now. Don't yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Joy, he's no longer doing it. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but what's impressive is how long he did it for. That's what that I'm is. That is nuts. Yeah. Um, but when it comes down to it, the, the cool thing about it is, you know, what we're looking for is, you know, like Jason just said, uh, is this a STEMI? Maybe not. Maybe, like you said, it could be causing ischemia to that area, and that's what we're getting. But when we're talking about the field, is what I don't have to worry about. What I love is like, I don't have to actually treat the STEMI itself. Well, I right. just treat this guy's symptoms. STEMI, like we we mess that yeah. up all the time because if I say to you as a medic to a medic, they're having a STEMI, 
Right. We're talking about what the EKG shows, but what a stent yeah. is actually blockage, you know, full yeah. blockage that requires a stent. So like the diagnosis of the, of the like scenario, the environment versus the actual like prognosis of what, what's going to happen is, is different, you know? Yeah. And but it's also great. Like, I was just saying another interesting thing here is that like, either way, this guy's going to the cath lab. He oh, might yeah. not get a stent, he might get a pacer, but like either way, yeah. he's gonna have to end up there. So, like the alert is the important piece. Like, hey, this, you know, this is what yeah. we got. Yeah. Like, All it's right. like CT scanners with strokes, right? They're always gonna get CT scanned anyway. So, so we need to make sure we get there first. But one thing I would mention is that if if let's say I, I think you said Red Medic was fairly certain that this was a third degree. Yeah. So yeah. like we're talking about third degree. It's like, what do we know are our STEMI mimics? Right. So mm-hmm. when we're looking at a STEMI, we have to look at STEMI mimics. One of our common STEMI mimics would be a ventricularly paced rhythm, right? Because it has a large QRS. But what do we know about a third degree? We've got something pacing the upper chambers and we have something pacing the bottom chambers. So we're going to have wide QRSs on. We basically have a version of a ventricular rhythm in a third degree heart block because you have the ventricles pacing themselves typically if you have a wide QRS and you have the upper chambers facing themselves, the atria, right? We have so, no, yeah. Yeah, I've really no idea what like, that. You do kind of have to watch out for, maybe this is just looking like a STEMI because I have a warped QRS that's larger mm. because I have a block. You know, so like something I wouldn't do in this situation is give nitro or morphine. <laughs> right. I probably yeah. wouldn't do that right now. Yeah, know? especially because he's super hypertensive. But, but to that point, like there, again, that whole that that can happen because you, it, sometimes you're so protocol driven that you look at this, you say STEMI, you think oxygen, nitro, and, and it's not. And again, like I would say, it's not like this crazy idea that that couldn't actually happen. I, I've seen this happen where people are like hypotensive and bradycardic and we're given nitro. And I'm like, I don't understand that. Like, well, because he had chest pain because he was, and it's like, you gotta, again, you have to understand the algorithm to Jason's point before you and Chris, you made the point too, like you have to understand the algorithm to know when and how to deviate from it. Right. So like, like you gotta be able to do both, you know, well, so. this is the problem. Like I, I see this in ACLS classes all the time. Cause you'll, you'll teach them an algorithm and then you'll give them a scenario of another algorithm than the, than what they just saw and then mm. right into it. Right. And it's like, no, like this is, I, you're in the wrong algorithm right now. You're in the ACS algorithm. I want you to be right now in the bradi- unstable bradycardia al- algorithm. That's what we're dealing with. You know? So you got to kind of know that's where the whole cookbook, like don't mix up your recipes too much. Yeah. <laughs> mm, mm, gotcha. Right. What yeah. a great analogy for this hex kitchen. episode. Right. <laughs> yes. It's all coming together. Whenever I hear hex, I just think H E X, and because we were talking about Harry Potter earlier, and so I'm just like, oh no, yeah, yes. <laughs> well, Alrighty. all right, so so prophylaxis fibrillation, yeah, still stance, still stance. Uh, let's let's do it eight times unsynchronized. Just go. Give me enough time, I can make this asystole, and I I damn well know what to do with asystole. Yeah, there you go. Just, <laughs> we're just gonna wait here until I know what to do. <laughs> anyway, uh, so it sounds like this, the summary of the of your points here would be that this is absolutely appropriate to make a STEMI alert from understanding that at the end of the day, it might not actually be a heart block like or it might not actually be a, a, a STEMI, a, an occlusion 
you know, an, uh, an occlusive MI, this might be a, like this pattern might be resulting from this hypoperfusive state. But in the field, this is sort of a, like, given what we have, it mm -hmm. would, it's a good choice to call it. Um, to the point of the third degree, uh, where we have this like ventricular pattern, I like with the paced rhythms, uh, Scarbosa criteria would apply. And I would imagine it would apply here because it would have that kind of left bundle branch block appearance um, with a wider QRS. Uh, there'd still be like depression in V1, V2 and V3. And there's like, concordant elevation in lead two. Um, so that, that would further add weight to my decision to make this a STEMI. But Again, like if you get the perfusion up, do a repeat 12 lead, and then you could kind of reevaluate. And then you just essentially go to the hospital and go like, hey, yeah, this is our STEMI activation. Hey, I got his blood pressure up and the EKG changed. Uh, yeah. Here you go. And let let those people, <laughs> let Dr. Ramsites figure it out. Right. We, 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 we earned our goddamn cookie. <laughs> if, I call, if I call Dr. Sites and I sent him this EKG and I say STEMI alert, Dr. Sykes, what are you going to tell me? To, what are you going to tell me to have done already? Like, why haven't you started pacing them? You know what I mean? Why <laughs> you paced them? Have you handled the underlying problem? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like sending yeah. a systole and being like, I, I'm diagnosing death here. Yeah. And being like, cool. Have you started CPR? Like, <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> what? Why? I got called one time for a call, and you, you have to pronounce. You got to call the hospital to get a pronouncement. So I got the call and they said, we've got this kind of younger guy. He's like in his fifties, you know, went in cardiac arrest. We got here. It was asystole. We've been doing CPR for about 15 minutes, which I didn't think was that long for a young guy. Yeah. This is me personally, but yeah. they're like, and uh, you know, we'd like to call for a pronouncement. And I was like, well, I don't know. Like, so I started asking questions and they're like, well, we've already stopped compressions. And I'm like, well, then the time of death is whenever you stop doing compression. I don't yeah. know what to tell you. Like, that's, that's, I mean, it's, you know, so. Yeah, yeah 15 minutes, man. Yeah, yeah. Like, especially with that age range, at least 30 to 40 minutes of working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But he didn't make it, clearly. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, continuing on. Uh, Red Chef believes this is an inferior STEMI, and they're worried about right ventricular involvement given the appearance. Uh, they do not have transmission capabilities in Hex Kitchen, so they will have to activate the cath lab en route. The patient is given uh, aspirin, and the uh, non-invasive blood pressure, or the autocuff, comes back with the very helpful numbers of question mark times three over question mark times three. Perfect. So we cycle it again, obviously, to get the number we want. Well, uh, dude, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it'll come back with exclamation points. You don't know. <laughs> that would be more helpful. Right. Well, that would saying, be more helpful. You know, like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so the team carefully removed the patient from the chair and via mega mover, take him to the stretcher, which was brought inside and they ex expertly plate the patient in the supine position. <laughs> Current vitals are Patient's level of consciousness, alert to verbal, heart rate, 28, still in the heart block. Blood pressure is anyone's guess, but fluid is being pushed in via the IV. And the SpO2 is not reading great, but when they hold it to the patient's finger and, you know, kind of clamp down on it, uh, they get 98% with room air. And they do note that the pleth wave correlates with the pulse. So, okay. all right. 
Once in the ambulance, Red Chef requests a firefighter to ride in because in this service, fire cannot drive their ambulances. And uh, they figured that there's a high chance for the patient to go into a cardiac arrest. Uh, they depart How's their heart rate suffering. doing with those fluids? Interesting. I don't know if fluid helps heart rate, but that's just my call. We'll keep going. We'll just keep listening. <laughs> Uh, they depart code three towards the closest hospital, which again, fully capable of dishing out all the needed treatments. God, the puns are so good. <clears throat> all right. It's 20 minutes dishing to get out. their code. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Plated the patient. Yeah. I wait until their uh, decision road has a fork in it. <laughs> it's coming up. It's coming up. Yeah. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. Uh, they were on scene for a total of 15 minutes. All right. Uh, so they do place the patient on an entitled CO2 cannula to monitor the patient's breathing slash cardiac output. Uh, and they get a value of 20 millimeters of mercury at a rate of 19. Uh, again, it's non-labored. Uh, they also place the defibrillator pads on the patient. Uh, the patient's SpO2 remains at 99% and the patient remains conscious. They try for another manual BP because now... 500 mils of fluid is in and they still can't get a blood pressure. The okay. patient's heart rate. Those pads do something else. Damn it. I know, oh, that's why. Why'd you put the pads on? What is the point of the pads? In case uh, he dies. Those they're pads doing, case they're doing, they're yeah. doing the exact thing that Jason said. They're going to wait for this guy to go into ACEs because then right. know what to do. All right. <laughs> yeah. Heart, <laughs> patient's heart rate still 29 on the monitor. Yeah, uh, they is. administer. Yeah one milligram of atropine to the patient, hoping that it might help increase the cardiac output, but to no avail. Yeah. That's aren't going to work very great. No. All right. So here we are. Here's our decision fork, our okay. fork in the road. And like a fork, uh, well, like one of the serving forks, there's three prongs. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Not like a regular fork where there's the fork. We're at our decision. That's why they call it a fork. Yeah. <laughs> So this is a freak. Okay. <laughs> well, that would be a trident, sir. This is a trident. Decision <laughs> trident. Sorry, Poseidon. Go ahead. <laughs> so we didn't take a really cool weapon and make it sound like just the nerdiest. Oh, that's my freak. It's my freak. Right. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, from that cor that one corn song, uh, corn. Another cooking theme. Uh, freak on a leash. So, oh yeah, a freak on a leash. <laughs> is that a mace? Is that? I don't know. <laughs> This right. is bad. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> All right. So Red Chef is considering how to best cook up a treatment for this patient. They are considering the following available recipes. And again, I am curious to hear all your thoughts on this after I break down uh, their plan and their thinking. So here they are, those treatment options. Number one, pace the patient. Number two, start a dopamine drip. Yes. Uh, they have a Dopamine bag with a micro drip set. And number three, start a dirty epi drip, uh, which is where they essentially put one milligram of one to 1000 epi in a liter bag and use a macro drip at 15 drops per minute, which gets them to their set rate. Um, dirty epi drip is what they called that. Yeah. Dirty uh, now, Red thinks that pacing might be helpful in this instance, but this is their thought. They think that this is not just a rate problem. They feel that the patient doesn't have any preload or afterload, despite the 500 mils of fluid because of the type of MI that they believe this is in. So they are inclined to move towards a presser first because they feel it would treat more than just the rate problem 
which the pacer, uh, they feel the pacer would treat. So the pressors, again, they have the two to choose from. The dopamine, they thought about this first because of the beta effects at the 10 microgram per kilogram per minute rate. Or epi, which does has both the alpha and beta effects, but they would want to be cautious with this route because they don't want to increase the afterload too much. So they ultimately settle on the following plan. They're going with the less, the less invasive presser plan over pacing, and they start with a conservative two micrograms per minute of epi and uh, plan to titrate up as needed. And then if that doesn't work, they will move on to dopamine. However, their backup plan is if the patient's mental status declines any further, they would just start pacing the patient. Uh, so they inform, they inform the patient of the plan and they start their epi at 30 drops per minute. Uh, and this is piggybacked into the liter of bag of saline that's still being infused. All right. So Thoughts here. Okay. Uh, and I we can I want to go in more in depth than this afterward because I definitely have questions. Uh, but which plan would you go with? So really quick, for half a second, I thought you were about to say Lasix when you were kind of going through some words. I'm like, where did that even come from? Um, you could have, you know what? It would have been just as effective. Right. Well, our protocol doesn't have push dose epi in it, but it has Lasix administration in the back of the <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um so, uh, so I'll, we'll go into depth later. So I will say, and I'll, I'll briefly state a reason. Um, I, I'm definitely leaning towards pacing on this guy. Uh, my main reason being is I, I understand the thoughts of like, hey, if he's having an MI, that can affect how hard his heart squeezing in the first place. I, I totally get that. But even if you have a heart that's only doing a half-ass job, doing a half-ass job faster is probably going to be okay. And my concern is that the the other thing that I don't think they're really thinking of is that. Uh, as Dr. Seitz already mentioned, hypotension can also be affecting the heart as well. And so this hypotension mm. is if, if, if an MI is impacting his, his heart's ability to push blood out, hypotension is not making that better. It's probably making that worse. And so I would tend to go the pacing route because pacing is a little bit quicker. And then here's, here's kind of my other justification for it. This isn't the best justification. If I'm recalling correctly, American Heart Association says, hey, an unstable, high degree bradycardia, so, go yeah. to pace. Whoever submitted this. I, they're not my listener, they're your listener. So I can, okay. this is the example. I don't, you, you can, yeah. maybe you sat in some cool, dirty, epi conversation. Who the hell cares? This is not understanding the basics of physiology. Right. Epinephrine and dopamine don't act on the heart in the same way that they act on the periphery. So when you have someone who's bradycardic and hypotensive, fixing the vascular problem which is what you're essentially doing first. And I, and I understand people say like, oh, but epi and dopamine work on the heart too. Sure. Like if you wanted to do that, then you'd give a push dose of epi. That sure. would have been more effective if you're trying to affect the heart. And my but, question for you, actually, I'll save this question for, for later here, but let me go ahead and put it. Sorry, Jason, go ahead. I'm cutting well, everybody off. I, oh. I was just going to say, I'm not just leaning towards option A. I'm jumping off a cliff. <laughs> right. Yeah. 100% I would pace, but I, I do think that to Chris's point, this is a, uh, I have to say Dr. Seitz, I, sorry. Dr. Seitz. Oh, good. <laughs> Um, but this, I think this is kind of a classic example of maybe like overthinking it. Like, like this medic obviously has right. a lot of knowledge about like, here's where the blockage is. So I know there's a preload issue and those are great things to know. We we're going to give atropine that that's fine, but with an unstable, it's Edison before medicine at every time they're unstable. It's Edison before medicine. I oh, cause he did electricity. That's yeah. Yeah. All right. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> well, what like, about Tesla? Hold on. <laughs> Tesla before, right? Before Twitter. <laughs> um, 
so a catecholamine drip is typically like a third or at least second line right. treatment, right? Like there's never really a time when I'm gonna give atrophy. If I get if I have a stabler bradycardia or they're you know I, I, they're responding mm. well to the atropine and I want to continue pharmacological, but like I say this all the time, like if we have pacing capabilities. It's not too often that I'm going to use dopamine or epi in a drip form in order to keep blood. That's a long, longer term, longer transport. Like if you, if you don't have the ability to pace them long term, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't really make any sense Mm. to use that. Like we can use that as a bridge to get them to a pacer. We can use it in a couple of different ways, but like if you have a pacer, you need to be pacing the bradycardia, you know, that's going to handle the issue. Why not shotgun method it and we'll be good to go. You know, um, and that's going to help hmm. with the hypotension. It's going to help with, cause we're going to be pacing up the heart, like the preload thing. Like if you're continuing to have an issue while you're pacing, that's when I would start going to catecholamines. Cause it's my only other option. And this is a third line treatment. They're not responding to the pacer. Maybe the pacer is not working. Maybe I run out of batteries, you know, whatever. Yeah. Then I can start leaning towards dopey or, epi- or uh, dopamine or epinephrine. But, uh, yeah. but I, I would say this, and they might not have this in their protocol. Like most protocols, don't have like most EMS protocols, I would say right now at least, don't necessarily have push dose epi options. Doc, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. it might be that yeah, we more do more they're getting them, I think. Like uh, in, in our uh, area, they for sure have been like, Yeah, you want to keep the engine going, use starter fluid. <laughs> I mean, and you yeah. can, yeah. And to be clear, they don't have push dose uh, epi yeah. at this service. Um, and their protocol does uh, allow for uh, these three options um, from my understanding, from my discussion with them. Uh, and this was one of those where everyone had different ideas. Does yeah. it allow for them in unstable bradycardia? Or in, or in a hypotensive event? Because again, yeah, you're right. in the wrong cookbook. Like yeah, that's, yeah. that's the problem, right? Mm-hmm. So. No. So this might be this might be one of those where, you know, like we have the uh, for the ground service I work at. If you're in cardiogenic, you know, quote unquote, cardiogenic shock, I have a full array of treatments. Although, again, it's like if it's there's a protocol for specifically for bradycardia in which uh, it goes like, hey, is it unstable versus stable? Right. Um, and right. And, and that's, that's a pretty a, typical but that's yeah. the problem with that algorithm, in my opinion, and bringing epi and dopamine into it is because if you have a stable bradycardia, what are you doing for that patient? I, I'm, I'm, if it's I'm truly them. stable, if you have an yeah. unstable bradycardia, you, it's not like you're then going like, well, is it super unstable or just right. unstable? Well, if it's super, I'll go with the electricity. If it's just semi, I'll go with the pharmacology. That's, right. that's not how we're supposed to look well, at it. And, and and I think you're bringing up a, a pretty good point as to kind of where, I mean, not to be, I mean, I absolutely agree with you, Dr. Seiss, in the sense of like, hey, this is what ACLS says. But I think there's, not that it's a great excuse, but I think there may be some system issues that are kind of outside the individual medics um, control that may be uh, pushing in on this. But I know, Spencer, you want to get to the deeper issues later. But um, yeah, that's a good discussion. I think that'll probably dominate the episode when we get through the call here. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, then let's go forward because I do. I have I have a lot of questions to follow uh, up on this. Uh, so let's see what uh, what happens with Red Chef. Uh, so they check vitals every five minutes. Um, 
for level of consciousness, they continue having a conversation with the patient because they really want to make sure that mental status doesn't drop so they don't have to pace. Uh, they talk with the patient about biking during the transport and the patient is very conversive and engaged in that conversation because if you bike 20 miles regularly, you're probably going to be wanting to talk yeah. about bikes. That's, yeah. that's that seems. Yeah. Nice. yeah. Uh, um, uh, again, using that as a as a metric for the mental status, uh, they try to auto cuff and manual cuff uh, blood pressures, but they cannot get a value. Uh, end titles CO2 is at 23 with respirations at 17. SpO2 is 96% on room air and heart rate is 33. Um, the next set of, of vitals are essentially the same with a mild increasing of the heart rate to 35. Uh, they do look for another IV site on the other arm, but they don't find any good sites. Um, they also had the discussion with the fire department sort of pre-gaming about what should happen if the patient should code and they have their airway equipment set out. Uh, they give a 10 minute heads up to the hospital for the cath lab activation and in hex kitchen, the cath lab staff are always there during the day. Uh, and this service, uh, the EMS service also boasts a 98% accuracy rate for field activations, uh, for the ones activated. That is not the overall sensitivity. I was going to ask, does that um, include, is that just the ones they activate or are we including any missed ones? That is just the ones that they're like, this is a STEMI. Um, the, real, the real obvious ones, we get them almost, almost every time. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, I'm, a, I'm a little bit, I'll talk about that statistic, that statistic later because I'm a little bit worried about it. But anyway, let's, let's, yeah. let's push on, push on. All right. So now between that time and about five minutes out from the hospital, the patient is noted to start having small runs of VTAC. And there is now some concern expressed with their, their treatment plan. Uh, Red does have the med kit out and amiodarone, amiodarone and code epi out, like set aside, drawn up just in case. Uh, and there is about 250 mils left in their normal saline. So their plan would be to shut down the epi drip, uh, Put the 150 milligram uh, of amiodarone into that and run that over 10 minutes if the patient's VTAC persisted. Um, they also have an IO out and ready if the patient uh, decides to code as well. But at five minutes out, they do finally get some improvement in their vitals. Heart rate is now 43. Blood pressure is now 110 over 60 via the auto cuff. And they confirmed that on the opposite arm with a manual cuff of 106 at 60 or 106 over 60. Uh, end title is 28. Respirations are 14 and 98% on room air. And the patient's skin is now notably drier and the patient is more arousable. And I'm glad that they checked the uh, blood pressure in the other arm too. Gotcha. Yeah, that's nice. Oh, uh, wait, what, yeah. what, what, what did the blood pressure come out to again? Uh, so 110 over 60 via gotcha. the auto cuff. And then in the other arm, they did a manual and uh, got 106 over 60. So. Gotcha. And what was the heart rate again? Uh, heart rate is a whopping 43. Wow, dang. Yes, yeah, see, I'm wondering here what's happening is they're seeing a guy, an athletic man, talk to them pretty clearly about biking, and they're thinking that his resting heart rate is super low in general. Mm -hmm. So they're missing the unstable bradycardia because. Well, I was just going to say a little bradycardic versus, you know what I mean? For him. Right. I'm not convinced this guy's still not going to die because I think that we've just been waiting. Like, I don't, I don't really think they've done anything at this point to really. In my mind, the, if this guy survives, and I don't know what happens in this case, but if he survives, it's only because he's healthy. Because right. I would actually be alarmed if you had no blood pressure and all of a sudden your blood pressure popped to over 100 systolic, you're about to code. 
Yeah. Because your body just peripherally shunted everything. Oh, I see what you're you saying. Don't have, you know what I mean? Like you're about, like that to me would be oh. like, Oh shoot. Well, in all fairness, they did, they did give Epi. So it is going to start peripherally shunting. I mean, there's that. Right. Right. So, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Well, so I didn't understand the IO thing. They have an IO ready in case they cold, but they have IV access, right? So they wouldn't need. They do have IV access, um, but they were thinking like, oh, if we have to do multiple more fluid or you know, they just didn't want. They wanted a second line, but they didn't. They didn't want to get a second line as an IO. I've done uh, similar. Patient was out. I've done similar, especially in packed ambulances. So that way, if there's someone at the end of the bench, they can push drugs and then I can be up here doing something with this IV. Just that way I don't have to jump. You know, no one has to jump over or pass drugs around. They're just, yeah, I got you. they're all on the wall. Yeah. So I can see, I can see a logistic value in that. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, as they roll into the ED, uh, they go to the trauma bay, are greeted by the team and the patient is taken to the cath lab. And here is the follow-up uh, right. prior to the procedure. They did uh, get some uh, temporary pacing due to the instability prior to the cath lab. Uh, Sounds about they right. They weren't paced in the ER when uh, when the crew was there. Essentially, it was just sort of, you know, they watched him for a bit and then immediately took him out. Uh, they stented, uh, they used, actually placed multiple stents. Uh, they determined that the primary cause of uh, STEMI was the complete occlusion of the distal RCA. Uh, then they had a 95% occlusion of the mid LAD. Uh, they Jesus. also noted, but did not stent the LM1 vessel. Um, and they found that the patient had a little bit of hypo K. Um, and their initial troponin at the ED came back at 0 0.01. Uh, the patient did try and die twice during the cath procedure, but lived and walked out of the hospital two days later. Uh, you could say this Hex Kitchen surprise challenge was well done. Uh, but now, you know, we need to Maybe know, not. could it have been done better? Uh, after the call, Red and Blue Chef discussed it, and Blue Chef expressed that uh, going to pressers first was appropriate, but felt that dopamine would have been the best flavor for this patient over Epi. And so now... Here we go. I I want to know pacing better. Um, I think that's like yeah. a, I think that's like arguing nutmeg versus cinnamon when you're cooking like freaking like a steak. <laughs> right. <laughs> the issue is we're we're discussing the wrong thing after the call. I'm actually yeah. surprised that the ER after trans well, there was no transmission capabilities. Right. Right. No transmission. Still, I'm surprised that the ER. It's disappointing that the ER didn't start pacing that guy. Yeah, like, for sure. How long were they in the ER though? I, you know, I don't remember. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. honestly, like, and, and I, I, I would bet my career on this right now. Like, this is how sure I am. The only reason this man survived is because of his own, like I, I granted he had blockages, right? Right. But his yeah. cardiovascular health saved him. The medics just happened to be a faster Uber driver. Like, and I'm not trying to be a dick, but like, it, it's right. like, it's true. You, like, you didn't <laughs> not trying to be a dick, but sorry. But, Go, but, sorry. No, but I, I like, like, honestly, like, yeah. don't be happy. Like none of that makes, I did like, again, even the, the path of the pathology, pathophysiology mm -hmm. behind the decision is, is, is incorrect in my mind. Like, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Well, but anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Well, well, let's jump into that. Let's uh, well, let's jump since that's sort of the big elephant in the room. Let's talk about those treatments. Was the rationale about pacing uh, where they're like, hey, I, we want to increase the rate, but I'm worried about the, the like, I believe they're preload dependent uh, and I need to give them, you know, like, I don't think we've given them enough preload with the fluid that we've given already. Like, is that fair? Is there a downside to pacing in this situation? 
I mean, I don't know if anybody else wants to jump in. I, I disagree with that. Yeah. Okay. The preload literally, like, one, you have to, like, so I guess I'm trying to understand why they thought that the preload was so bad. I think because they were probably concerned about right ventricular in involvement. I think that's where they were really running with it, but there's no V4R. And, and, and even still, I'm going to kind of circle back to this is that um, when we're talking about preload, there's a lot of things. So preload is literally not this, this matters a little bit just so people can, can know, but preload is literally measured by sarcomere stretch in the right atria, I believe, right. which you can't measure in a living patient, by the way. Um, so Basically, that can be affected by uh, largely by the amount of fluid that's that's going in. But that has to that has to come from cardiac output. So that, I guess that's that's the thing. So that, that's where I'm going with this. So like I like are they incorrect in thinking that if you had like a very like an inferior wall right sided MI that it's preload dependent? Yes. But adding fluid to a pump that's not pumping like, right. like you're missing the key like. Like the, the mm. you you use preload for cardiac output. Like, like cardiac output is the piece that like we have to. So you can I could add a ton of fluids to an asystolic heart too. What what does that do for me though? So it's like yeah. does that make sense? I guess that's kind of yeah. where I'm, like Jason. Maybe you can explain a little bit better. But I, yeah. I feel like that's where I'm kind of like I guess you're not wrong. But what in this situation made made you think that like? you thought about pacing clearly. So you clearly realized that there needed to be, you know, more contractility and the rate needed to come up. The cardiac output is literally like based on heart rate. That's the key piece here. Right. Playing with preload and afterload would be a secondary thing in my mind. And I, okay. I think, I think when we're boiling it down to kind of one of the things that strikes me and I given that what I'm about to say, this logic doesn't apply to every treatment every single time for everything. And I absolutely understand that. So I don't want listeners to think that like, well, this isn't necessarily true, but a lot of times what I try and look at is, is the, the potential causes for this. And one that's not on there. Cause we talk about, uh, so uh, hypotension or blood, blood pressure. It's supported by how good your pump's doing, how much fluid you have going around the, uh, the circulatory system and how big the pipes are. That's it. And so I'm trying to think which of those things are, are most likely impacting this heart. One that's probably not is lack of fluid. We don't really have necessarily trauma. He may have just sweated a whole bunch, but for an athlete that's used to this, that bikes all the time, that's really low on my list. And so my first thing isn't to like, well, let's give the fluid back because my problem with that is the heart had plenty of fluid. It had that right. and it's still it up. So I don't know if I want to go back to doing more fluid, uh, especially when you have something that that's, that's this, bradycardic. And I just, I kind of go back to, I mean, I, I don't like hypotensive bradycardic patients with terrible EKGs because I think they're going to code soon. And, uh, in my mind and, and, you know, Spence, I don't know if you have a, a study you're waiting to throw at us that, uh, that you just know, but like, uh, in my mind, I hypotension, uh, it's, it's, it's bad for everything. It is specifically bad for the heart as well in an MI. I mean, am I correct there? I mean, everyone kind of agrees with that, that, yeah. 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 And so if I mean, I, I their concerns are perfectly valid in the sense that, hey, I mean, it might not be just right. It might just be that it's not squeezing hard enough. That's probably true. But pacing will help that. Well, and that's or, the thing, too. So like you have. Sorry, go ahead, Jason. Jason. There's a difference between being hypovolemic and being hypotensive. Right. <laughs> so yeah. The issue here is that like. 
if you want to know a way to make me hypotensive right now, slow my heart down to 36 beats per minute. I'll yeah. go hypotensive too. That doesn't have anything to do. Is my preload affected? Yeah. yeah. Cause I'm not getting the fluid that I have in my body, as you said, mm-hmm. into, into the, the heart. Like I can't, of course my preload's affected, but what I need is to pace my heart up. Right. Like right. I see this a lot in like in ACLS scenarios, when we run a, we have them run a code and then there has to be a post cardiac arrest uh, situation afterwards. Right. Mm-hmm. And they'll see uh they'll see a symptomatic bradycardia or they'll see a bradycardia after the code and they'll start thinking the less serious routes, let's get them some atropine mm-hmm. or let's, and it's like the guy just died. Right. <laughs> like, of course he's, hypotensive and bradycardic like we need to so let's let's roll we have pads on them already let's roll like we don't have to be so fearful of the electricity it's not this like scary extreme treatment just because we're shocking them it can be a little uncomfortable for them but it's not like we're we're taking their heart rate and we're going to send it into the hundreds no we're not you can actually do that on accident with catecholamines with yeah, catecholamines yeah. i'm hel- telling the heart go faster with pacing, I'm telling the heart, go 60 beats per minute, go the perfect speed. Right. right? And, and it, yeah. There's, there's that big difference is I, I think we make connections a lot of times in, in pre-hospital medicine. We talk all the time about how right-sided MIs, that's a preload dependent heart. That's why we stay away from nitro. That's why we stay away from maybe doing the morphine because the dilation effects, but that's a right-sided mm-hmm. MI. That's not an inferior MI. Those two things are, are separate too. So like, and- it, like to this guy's point, what I would have liked to have seen if he's going down that route at all, a right-sided EKG, like, like mm. he didn't even run a right-sided EKG to really confirm, yeah, this is preload dependent to kind of mm. go with his argument. Right. So like, yeah. but it's, it's really not our job to decide whether we should even withhold nitro and morphine and those sort of things with dilation when we see that type of situation it's our job to present that information to the hospital and let them make that decision most of the time so the like other thing too to your point with the nitro stuff jason so like i said preload is essentially again you're actually what you're actually measuring is like the stretching of those sarcomeres right as you come into the right side of the heart but that is what that is dependent on the amount of venous blood flow right so the amount of volume Mm-hmm. And yep. the and and the ability of that volume to circulate back to that side, right? So so like so like you have to have the you have to have the volume component there, which I would argue that there's not a volume problem. If, and I would argue that like they can't argue otherwise. They said it was a STEMI. A STEMI is not a volume problem, right? And right. I get the new mm-hmm. like, but you're not gonna like put yourself, you know. So it's not, it's not a volume problem. It's so it's the amount of venous blood flow, which we're seeing there's not a problem, and then the rate at which it circulates which is literally depend only dependent on the heart rate at that point. And to Jason's point, if you have a right-sided MI, what you, what you don't want to do is give nitro because it could make things worse. Cause you're going to dilate those vessels right before they come in, yep. which decreases essentially that volume coming in because you, you distributed it out over the area. That's very different than like, I would, I would, I would put the question back to them what harm did you think pacing would do to preload? Because if you truly understand what causes preload, pacing can only help, right? Because it's right. going to help the rate component. Now, it may not have an effect, and that's fine. Yeah. But it's not going to cause harm. And so, again, I think it's, it's a lack of understanding of what preload really is. Like You've heard preload. People have thrown that at you in class. So you're like, oh, preload dependent, right-sided. 
but you're then you're jumping to this like but pacing would be a problem no like pacing could only help in that situation and i would argue too like you start with pacing that's why the algorithm says to you start with pacing if it doesn't work then you could try fluid yeah, other options pressers, right but yeah. starting the other way doesn't make any sense and they started the pressers and stuff and did a bunch of repeat vital signs and those didn't work either and they didn't have a secondary what was, like you know what i mean they didn't take the next step for that either so like again i think it's just like and I don't, i'm not saying it's easy like preload after load like it takes it's little it's a little nuance there but again that's why the algorithms are there like right. that's that's why they're there so like again i i think there's a there's a problem in their understanding of like it seems like they didn't want to pace because they thought somehow pacing would cause a preload problem but I'm not sure where that comes from, right? I, I, felt, think it, I think they thought the right side was causing a preload problem, which I understand. Yeah. And I think I also think that there the first mistake, and, and it's easy to Monday morning quarterback. So I'm sure to be gentle. Yeah. But like, but I think the first mistake was giving fluid in the first place. That mistake I can understand. I can understand being on a patient who's diaphoretic, just biked yeah. 25 miles and is hypotensive, being like, oh yeah, I'm gonna give him fluid. He's right. Hypotensive, and, right? And that's why I said earlier, like, I'm not necessarily saying, you know, like, I don't think it's a fluid issue, but I, I can understand how there are situations where you would still try and give fluid to someone who's potentially hypotensive after work. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, just yeah. go ahead. Well, I, I think, though, that the after the EKG, we see that they're bradycardic. Whenever we see a bradycardic that slow, we should start yeah. stop thinking about hypotension. Like hypotension is a is an effect of, you know, it, it's a right it's a side effect of the of the heart rate. Of course they're hypotensive because they're going slow, right? Right. So let's speed them up first. And then if they're still not perfusing decently, well then we can consider adding a little fluid to there because maybe that hypotension is more fluid dependent or the fluids, but the fluid is either in the wrong space or it's not there. Right. So we have yeah. to kind of figure out how to get it into the right space or we need to add some. Right. So it's not this yeah. end all, be all add fluid. It'll solve the problems. That heart's not going to beat any faster because it has more fluid. That doesn't make sense. You yeah. Know? I would also be, and actually Jason, I got a, a couple questions for you there. So two, so I want to talk about two of the treatments. I want to talk about, um, cause so Jason, you'd brought up that you know, they may have had some concerns that there was a, that pacing would cause a problem. Uh, it wasn't really fleshed out why it, it, I agree with you. It really seemed like they wanted to do like anything but pacing. And I don't, I didn't really see a, a clear reason why they seemed to feel so, that way. I think that's called. So, yeah. So, Oh, sorry. No, I, I just think, I think in generally in EMS, the way that we teach it, the way that we present it, I think that paramedics, tend to be a, a little fearful of pacing when I, and again, that's why I tried to really make it simple. Like it, it's actually safer than yeah. any meds because there's a cap on it. I can't yeah. make it go faster than six. No one it hurts getting paced. And then all of a sudden went to two twenty. <laughs> it doesn't, yeah. doesn't work that way. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's a very effective treatment. It's, it's pretty non-invasive. It's even, yeah. it's not even that uncomfortable to be yeah. honest. You know, I know people are like, well, then I got to get pain meds because they're going to be so uncomfortable. It ain't that bad. Well, and here's the the other thing too is is like I mean I, I'm I'm big into keeping my patients comfortable, but I'm also big into keeping them alive. Right. And so if, if I'm and, and I, I totally agree, like this guy's super hypotensive. I'm not about to give. I, mean, I don't know what sedation they carry, but um, you know, for the longest time, Spence and I worked in a place that carried 
fentanyl and Versed. Those were your two choices. And if anything, I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, you know what? Maybe a little pain will help a sympathetic tone go up. But um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so, yeah. <laughs> but kind of back to the point of like, so we're talking about, so pacing, like again, like aside from that discomfort, I don't really see a downside to it, but I do see some downsides to um, potential downsides, both to giving pressors and fluid. My big thing about uh, fluid, I don't like giving fluid to sick hearts because it has a tendency to go places it's not supposed to go, like Jason brought up, like the lungs. Right. You know, I mean, we're pretty sure it's right-sided failure, which means we're not going to back up into the lungs. But from my perspective is, I, I don't know exactly what's failing, and I don't know if there may be some left-sided failure as well. And so we don't know where that fluid's going to end up in a, in a pump that's just not good at pumping fluid around right now. And so I, I worry about that. Again, I'm not saying there's not a point at which fluid may become part of the treatment, but it's certainly after pacing in my book. I think what was happening is, is we're looking at it and we're saying STEMI, which, and, he, and they were right. Don't get yeah. me wrong. They were right. It's a STEMI. Yeah. And mm -hmm. they were looking and they're hypotensive. Instead of saying, mm -hmm. this is primarily an unstable bradycardia mm -hmm. and there's a STEMI complication with it. Right. And I'll throw this in there too. Right. So if you're, if you're in a STEMI protocol, what type of medications do we give? nitro which we're not going to or right morphine and we're not going to do that but we're going to give something to constrict the peripheral doubt like i would argue that you could have and it sounds like hopefully, hopefully this didn't happen I don't, it sounds like th this had a good outcome but like you could have you're also going to clamp down the coronaries so like you could have made the mi worse in some ways mm. if you're not careful right That's like so point. again you've got to just and i get that like like to jason's point like there is maybe some gray but there, there is a lot of black and white we missed and you can't play in the gray unless you have understood the black and white. Right. So you can't, Spencer, can't have your cake and eat it too. Right. It's one or the other. Yeah. Spencer yeah. review going back and reviewing. Cause I, I want to give credit where credit's due. They ended up going with epi drip. Correct. Uh, so they, so they used it at a two microgram per minute drip. And this is where I, I actually don't have the answer here. At what point, if you were going to drip epi into increase chronotropy, what rate would you have so, to have that at for epi for adult bradycardia? You want two to 10 micrograms per minute. Okay. Okay. And so but they were at, they, they're at the they lowest at two. Yeah, they're at the lowest. That's the ACLS algorithm. If you look at ACLS algorithm, two to ten mics, two to ten mics per minute. But let's say they paced first and it didn't work because that could have happened, right? Sure. Like, yeah. I still think you should. They paced first, it didn't work. So now you follow the algorithm. What's the second thing you do? You start an epi drip at two to ten. Gotcha. If you started it at two and you still couldn't get a blood pressure. Why was it never titrated? Like, mm, like, that's good point. Ever, like, you know what I mean? So again, like. No matter, you got to commit. You can't do the bare minimum of everything and then walk well, away and be like, "Yeah, I think we did it." Like, well, it's not even really the bare minimum. The bare minimum right, right. is a titrate, right? Um, yeah, right. Yeah. So it's kind of like that's what I mean. Like, so had they had they said, "You know what? We're going to do epi," and they had titrate for like two to four to six, like that. Okay, at least you're. Again, I, I think there's like a lot of missing pieces here, and now I think. After the fact, they want to think about like, well, dopamine would have been better. Like, it's a moot point. We need to talk about what. Yeah, like, that, that, that's that's an aside, right? I mean, it's kind of like you know. So, um, so let me just kind of make sure I'm kind of, kind of to, to summarize uh, the group's feelings. Um, I, I, th I think we're all pretty much on board that pacing was the primary treatment for this guy to start with. Uh, and just to kind of clarify something, uh, if you, I don't know if you guys have the AHA algorithm in front of you, just to make sure that what I'm saying is correct. Pacing is the first line and, and it's not suggesting an epi drip until after that. Correct. Right. Uh, it's an alternative, I believe for unstable. I'll double check though. Yeah. Just kind of, I just want to get the unstable bradycardia. Like, and I'll say 
unstable by AHA guidelines is even technically, and I'm not saying that I recommend this, but technically yeah. unstable from AHA guidelines, even if the guy's blood pressure had been fine, his chest pain yes. actually makes him unstable and you could have faced him just yeah. for that, yeah. like just for the chest pain component. Now, yeah. then, I, then I have, then we can have a conversation about like, well, I mean, let's try some other things. I think that's fine, but yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's a frontline dose of uh, atropine. Gotcha. Yep. And then it says if atropine is ineffective, transcutaneous pacing and or a dopamine or epinephrine infusion. And that so would the, be two to 10. So they're not wrong. I just don't know why. It, that's why I, it drove me crazy when you were like, they put the pads on them in Casey codes. And it's like, so they have pads. I know they can break. Right. Right. You know, yeah. That's what we should be doing. Right. Because we know that it's going to be more effective. Yeah. When it's kind of coming down to it, I think their confusion on scene with this is a little bit at least more understandable in terms of which one, because that algorithm doesn't really doesn't really give you much guidance in that sense. Yeah, but that's like saying, uh, here, here's the problem. It's yeah. saying they got the right answer, but how did they get to one of the right answers? They didn't get the most best answer. Exactly. They, they got to a technically correct answer, but they did it in kind of a janky way by talking about hypotension a bunch. Yeah. Preload. And like, it didn't really relate to that, right? Like the issue here, bradycardia wasn't really concentrated on at all in their assessment. And that's what... Mm. That's where I, they were saying, I think epinephrine's better. I think dopamine's better because hypotension, hypotension, hypotension. Sure. No, you're not. We're trying to get the heart rate back up. You know what? Gotcha. I think so. It's, it's to sort of clarify. It really does sound like then all those three treatments are possible treatments, although the preference is pacing. Uh, because it's it, like the downsides to pacing are that you might not capture or you think you capture because there are pseudo capture waves that can show up on an EKG where you're like, oh, look at that. I've I've got capture when you really haven't. You you should always palpate a pulse uh, with your to, to make sure that you have capture or there might be pain. And we're we do. We are very reluctant, I think, to hurt people. Uh, and oftentimes drugs seem like kind of the way to not hurt people. So I can understand the thought there. Um, and it sounds like uh, the medic in this case, Red Chef, just sort of had a misunderstanding and was misapplying uh, something they'd learned about preload from a you know inferior, possibly right-sided MI and applying that to this situation unnecessarily, which made it murky. Um, and that was like, and if they had paced, that would have also helped get fluid back to the heart mm -hmm. because the heart is pushing out more fluid. Therefore you're getting more preload back right. because you're getting more fluid moving around. So I, um, I, I want like to counter the same thing because the epi didn't raise his heart rate. So Can I just throw in here? Cause I needed to look it up. Cause like, yeah. it didn't sit right with me like the and or yeah. sure. That's the other one says the HA also very clearly. Cause I just looked it up. It says, for the patient with symptomatic bradycardia with signs of poor perfusion, not just symptomatic, signs of poor perfusion, transcutaneous pacing is the treatment of choice. Gotcha. So, okay. Like, I was going to say, like, like, I get that you can use the others, but like, that would have been a good example if he was having like crushing chest pain, but his blood pressure was fine. Let's pay, let, let's pace him with like, but he's got like crazy signs of poor perfusion on top of it. Oh, absolutely. Pacing is still, um, is still the is still the recommended like the, yeah. the ones we should use. So well, that's I, what I, second or third line treatment like epi and dopamine are our backups when our pacer is down. Yeah, gotcha. Well, and and this actually circles back to what Sites said, uh, Chris uh, Sites said uh, in the beginning, and that is like you need to understand the uh, you got to understand why you do 
these algorithms you do. Because in this case, as we just showed, blindly following the algorithm doesn't provide you with a lot of guidance. It gives you an and or it gives you this. But if you read the logic behind it, like you just did, Chris, the, the decision's much clearer in that case. With that, well, and, and, I, and I'll go back to you too again. The kind of like the preload question here. It's like it's like the chicken or the egg type of thing, right? Like, and, and again, I go back to you know. If you if you understand how preload works, I think you would have thought, you know what? Well, let's pace them first because that is an easy solve to one of the preload issues. And if it's not that, we'll know right away, and then we can start other things. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think it's kind of going because I again I think they got to maybe not the best answer, but a answer. Yeah, but with the wrong logic. Which like that's more dangerous, I think, than and this is the value of going back and looking over it is going back and this is why Jason and I do the back to basics podcast, like taking it back to basics. What is preload, right? What really is preload? I even learned this as a as a as a physician. I still do this to this day as a physician. You it may make me people uncomfortable, but you'd be surprised how many times like I see a patient. I saw a, I picked up a shift a midnight shift the other day, and I saw a patient with like. Um, they had like Hashimoto's thyroiditis and like this thyroid issue. And then they were having like symptoms. No joke. I had some downtime in the shift. I'm looking up like T4 and T3 and how the thyroid functions again, because that's always served me better. When I take the time to go look at that, all of a sudden, like everything falls into place after that. When I yes. truly understand just how the thyroid works, mm -hmm. all of a sudden I'm like, oh, that makes sense that this medication does this and this and this and this and this and this, right? If you understand how preload works, all of a sudden you understand why the algorithm says this and then this or the, and it starts to like make a lot more sense from that way. Because again, in, in this scenario, you've got someone who's very bradycardic, sim very symptomatic with poor perfusion. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, I've got to get their blood pressure up. But getting someone's blood pressure up has like from a physiology standpoint, doesn't also increase their heart rate. Like you know what I mean? Like, that's right. not like, yeah. like it, it, it can decrease their heart rate. Actually, like, think about like someone who's like septic, they're like crazy tachycardic. That's how the body works, right? If my blood pressure goes down, my heart rate goes up to compensate for it. That's my compensatory mechanism. Yeah. So treating yeah. the blood pressure and hoping the heart rate will go up doesn't really make intuitive sense. But treating a heart rate and then to, like that does. So like starting with the right thing and could that have done absolutely nothing absolutely but we at least checked the right box because now now we can have a conversation about like which one epi or dopamine right now we can't even really have that conversation because we didn't deal with the rate problem to begin with so it's kind of like well well i don't know if that not right. anything would have made a difference at that point you know yeah. so well and spencer we're always like turning things on and we're turning things off right yeah. so like there's always like side effects but i feel like like I, i've said this in lectures before where like if you have a if you have a cardiac arrest patient, like I've had students come to me and be like, should we be giving epi and cardiac arrest? What if they have a history of heart issues and now they're going to wake up super tachycardic and that's going to give them a heart attack. And it's like, well, you're, you're right to think along those lines. It's yeah. true. That those things like can happen, but what, what do you think the priority is? Right. I, and it, yeah. Yeah. I think that in terms of turning things off and turning things on, I can't very quickly or effectively reverse the effects of a chronotropic drug. Oh, just draw it back out. I can, I can just, <laughs> I, can, I can just turn the pacer off though. We, yeah. we, we yeah. go to dialysis clinics all the time. Just, okay. you know, stop by one of those. They're like, Hey, actually, uh... <laughs> actually trust me, Jason, if, if you draw enough blood out, you'll see the blood pressure come back down. 
That's uh, pretty sure. It works. It works. And so, so guys, I, mean, I think we could, there's some other things I do want to move past. I, I, I think we kind of got this one good, but I want to bring up one other thing because uh, I have to have the last word. Um, so Spencer, you had brought up some downsides to pacing that, that I do think are worth mis- mentioning because we're kind of like, why would you avoid pacing? Yes, you do have to have the mechanical capture and you have to be good at verifying. But one of the things that I want to point out is you have to do that with anything you give. So the same, the same issues in terms of assessing that it's working are going to be present if you're giving a presser as well, with the exception of you don't have to sit there and make sure your pressure gets capture, I guess. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, you, you're you are still going to have to um, verify with the pulse, verify that everything on your machine is as because let's say you increase the heart rate with Epi and it, it does come up for whatever reason. And maybe it won't. But if it does, you still need to check a blood pressure. You still need to check and make sure that what what's happening is 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 what you want. So you're going to have that either way. And I think where this crew really kind of seemed to get hung up is um, th- they would try treatments and they would keep trying to verify that those treatments were actually doing something, even when the blood pressure was coming back as eh, you know. And it's kind of like, how long are we going to go down this road? But um, anyway, so I think probably the final word on that. And Jason, thanks for grabbing the AHA. Uh, stuff on that i think i think yeah. where the the crew probably to me in, in my opinion their biggest misstep when it came to this is you know jason like you said they chose an answer and if you go just by the algorithm there's not a lot of guidance there but i think to me that the 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 hard line in the sand is that if you read the logic behind that algorithm in the aha guidelines in the actual book itself it says pacing is the way if you can't do pacing, then you add this, or if pacing doesn't work, then you add this. And I admit, I have had patients where they are hard to get capture on. They're just plain difficult. You know, that yeah. that happens. Um, but anyway, so I think... I'll, I'll throw in a quick little caveat here too, because yeah. you guys may see this like in the ER, we'll, we'll, we'll intravenously pace, right? Yeah. Mm. I'm a hard proponent that we should never be doing that. Oh, really? And yeah, and here's my argument for it, right? If I have time to go drop an intravenous pacer, Right. And do an invasive procedure like that. This patient just needs to go to cath lab. Oh, very right? like, like, why am I holding them up in my ear to put an intravenous pacer so that they can then later go to cath lab and get? So, like, it, now if I don't have a cath lab and I'm going to transport this guy's, I can't get mechanical capture. He's bradycardic, and you guys are going to fly him out. I yeah. might drop a pacer then, right? Because right. that's going to be easier. Mm. Barring yeah. that, though, I actually don't feel that we should be dropping intravenous pacers in the ER. Because what you'll find too is now you'll start to like pay attention when this happens. How many times are we not even transcutaneously pacing them and dropping an intravenous pacer? Yeah, like, well, and I don't these, know. Like, this and this happens all the time. You, be, you all the time. These ER docs are setting up to do an intravenous pacer, and we're and we're doing the same thing. I'm I'm so I, I'm, I'm I, I do what I preach is what I'm trying to say that like we're not even transcutaneous transcutaneously pacing them we're giving them epi and dopamine stuff like that and we're like oh they need a pacer i'm gonna go drop an intravenous one no i mean like the only time i should be ever dropping an intravenous pacer is if i'm transcutaneously pacing someone and not getting good capture and i don't have the option to just have the cardiologist go put a permanent one in i mean there's really like no other so like again like i like it's on both ends that this this misconception but again understanding why you're doing what you're doing is so important so and to this yeah. crew's credit they they know the algorithms and the reason why i know they know at least some of the algorithms very deeply is because he's thinking about right-sided heart failure and yeah yeah eyes so if i asked him about the acs algorithm he'd be the first to tell me hey i don't want to i want to hold off on nitro and that's smart i want to discuss with medical direction whether i should give uh y- you know morphine and nitro because there, there's some issues there with preload it's just in this case 
this one we got to know a little bit deeper you know that's yeah, all. yeah. And, and so i think that's sort of one of the things is like i think there's the concern like hey if it's a bradycardia patient where there isn't the concern of a STEMI when you do the 12 liter just like i don't know for their whatever reason they're in a, a, a just a heart block or you know where you don't see that evidence there uh i think one of the failings that happens is people uh see the STEMI pattern and then they go well STEMI trumps all and I wonder if the STEMI pattern alters that bradycardia treatment and I should be more cautious with pacing or something along those lines. And I think the, the answer there is no, the, the treat that low rate first and yeah. then and then worry about the the after effects like and I then. Yeah. yeah, I think there's just a misconception that 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 pacing is 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 in, in some way dangerous or terribly uncomfortable. I will say of everyone I've paced, most of them are pretty much troopers. They sit there like this the entire time, and I'm like, "You okay?" Like, "Um, okay." And I'm like, "Play some music." Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, that's a good beat, man. So, real quick, I think we should just run through the rest of this. I thought their pregame was good with the considerations. Uh, they had the nice ribbing of the more senior partner, you know, Hey, remember your training, um, for their arrival assessment. I thought they did great on that. Uh, I, the only thing that they didn't capture was a CBG. Um, oh yeah. What kind of, what that kind was of probably it. Yeah. <laughs> I was sit the whole time. He needed like, epi and pacing. He needed D 10. That's, that's what we missed. Uh, and so, and we've already, and some to death, I think the, uh, the treatments, um, I, I think it's helpful to have the good rapport with the hospital. Someone had brought up the question about uh, the the uh, 98%. Uh, you said you wanted to put a pin in that and come back to it. Chris, did you have anything? Uh, so so that I have a huge problem with the way that 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 is gathered. So they're saying that when they call a STEMI, they're 98% of the time they're right. So here's the thing. Yes. 98% is an astronomically high number. That's one of the things we really got to keep in mind. 98% is really, really good. My problem, though, is that that's a very bizarre way to look at these things. What you should be doing is when you're really trying to suss out whether or not your STEMI program is working, whether people are making the right call, you have to look at did they make the right call, whether they made the call or not. So you have to include the misses. And well, here's the thing. As a medical director, I because you're saying like 98% is astronomical, like in healthcare in general, because yeah. like semis are not as easy as you. So if you're saying 98% as a medical director, I would be like, oh, wow, we're missing a ton of STEMIs. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's my yeah. point is because if you are in that group, if you are under diagnosing STEMIs and you're only looking at the ones you got correct and you're 90% of the time right, you are probably missing a right. ton of them. I can't a say lot. for certain. But you're probably missing a ton of them. So the only statistic that matters is is all of them. How many did you get right? How many how, how many did you call correctly? How many did you call incorrectly? And how many did you not call at all that you should have? Like you have to look at that. I am super worried about a 98% number. I mean, again, I yeah, I, I'm willing to admit I could be wrong. I just don't yeah, think I am on that studies, one. We can't look at the accuracy of whether the STEMI activation turned into a real cath lab you know, stent put in because the thing is, is it, we don't have that information, right? So what needs to be, we need to be getting attaboys when we see a STEMI on the EKG and it is truly a STEMI on the EKG. I don't right. care if we're actually having blockage because the thing right. is we're looking at criteria where there's things that we can't check. We can't run troponins. We can't, that that's not even an accurate depiction anymore. Right. You can actually taste yeah. it in the blood, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
phone I need to be. <laughs> yeah. Well, but like that's Sir, what, hold on. <laughs> I, I saw in my system all the time people going, look, here's the thing. If I'm gonna if I look at a STEMI and it's clearly a STEMI on the paper, and then it doesn't end up being a STEMI in the hospital, if I'm gonna get criticism for a true activation, but a right. correct diagnosis, I'm gonna stop doing it. And but now it seems like that might lead to a 98%. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, like follow yeah. your protocol and you know, when, when you call in a STEMI alert, you're not saying this, I will bet my life that this guy will get cath. You're yeah. saying you're saying it fits the criteria that you want me to check for. You know what I mean? Right. It's the same thing with LVO, like like with strokes, right? Like, no, they have receptive and expressive aphasia. They have a score of this on a fast ED. So right. they, they are fitting the criteria for an LVO. You know, we, we think they might have an LVO. Let's go to that thing. They might go to the hospital and they don't have an LVO. That ain't on me. I followed the rule. Yeah, right. I mean, that's yeah. How we Absolutely. There was, yeah. uh, there was a hospital I worked at where they missed like two STEMIs. Um, and I looked, I, I got to look at these cases as one of the directors and I, I, I don't really think they missed anything. But my, the best part of the story is that cardiology decided that from now on, they want to see every EKG from EMS. And I was like, you do, do you? Okay. You clearly don't understand how the EMS ER system, the less than 24 hours. And they were like, we, stop doing this. Like, like, just like, every, like five minutes, get an EKG. Like, it's just like, they're like, we can't. We're like, yeah. Did you think that like, we only see a couple EKGs a day or something like that? Right. What? It was great. It was, it was the best. Literally less than 24 hours. And they got an email memo that's like, cardiology no longer needs to see him. <laughs> <laughs> right. exactly. Cardiology has collected enough data. Thank you for your participation. Right. Yeah, exactly. that's, yes. uh, that's good. All righty. Nice. Well, any good final words, guys? No, I think it's good. I, I hope <laughs> I'm going to say now, after yeah. the fact, to the listener who maybe have put this in and like, I'm not, I'm sorry if I came down hard on this. Like, again, I just, I'm very passionate about like, I think that we do ourselves and we do this. I do this. Like, and I'm, I'm going to take accountability for it as well. Like we have to give ourselves grace to be comfortable and okay. Again, always going back to the real basic stuff. This is the opportunity here is really go back to the really, really basic stuff. Like this is a good outcome. This is, you know, everything's fine. Don't worry about it. Everything turned out fine. There's no big deal. But I think that like, we have to have the humility, especially in the emergency medicine field. And I would say in healthcare in general, we have to have the humility and the accountability to say, hey, you know what? Like, I need to continuously go back to the simple things and the basic things and recognize that, like, sometimes those are the most important. Right. And then right. go from there. And that that does not make us a cookbook medic. That does not make like, these like connotations of like, I don't have to prove to you that I did. Like, I just have to prove I just have to know myself that I did the best job I could with the resources and stuff I had. And that always comes back to the, just like really going back and understanding the basic piece. So that, that would be my encouragement there. Like I said, like, um, but also like, yeah, actually, I'm going to cut the whole episode down to where it's just that. Just that. Guy. Apologizing. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, we can use that soliloquy right at the beginning as it opens up. Uh, yeah. Too. You know, it's just as a like fantastic. Yeah. Right before the music starts, and then yeah. uh, then we go into it. Doctor cites his apology in the beginning, and then it goes out of this. And then he goes out. <laughs> all right. Well, guys, thanks again for joining us. Uh, we really had a lot of fun. It always, uh, of course, lends us some credibility when you guys uh, come on here. So we love it. Uh, thanks for you guys' input. You guys are a lot of fun to podcast with. It really adds. To to it. Do it um, 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's a ton of fun. So everyone, thanks again for listening. And um, if you haven't already, please follow us on social media. It is uh, EMS 20 slash 20 on Facebook at EMS 20 show on Instagram. If you would like your call to appear on this show and after Dr. Sites today, I don't know why you would, but if you, I'm <laughs> sorry, sorry man, I just, sorry. I had to poke that button one more no. time. Uh, but if you want your call to appear here, we do have a form you can fill out. There is a pinned post on our Facebook. And if you go to our Instagram and under the uh, bio, you'll see a beacons page. Click that. But the very top is the submission form. You guys have been using it. And we thank you guys for that. As always, please visit guardiancme.com. That's where you can go get to get. <clears throat> That is where you go to get free continuing education, not like paywall free, but like really free. It's all free. And I believe NREMT now allows you to get all of your continuing education credits online, if I'm not mistaken. So you can go there and knock out a whole ton. I know if you're in Oregon right now, June is fastly approaching and many of us have to research. So that's a good place to go right now. It's guardiancme.com. Our content's on there. Their content's on there. Uh, check out the Back to Basics podcast as well. If you guys want to hear more of... Uh, Chris and Jason, they're on there. And uh, gosh, anything else? I'm way nicer on that podcast. Yeah, he's way nicer on that one. Yeah. All hate mail for Dr. Sites can go to EMS2020 at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it can because it's not quite correct for the email. So send oh, okay. it away. <laughs> even better. Even better. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and then uh, let's see. Oh, and check out our YouTube channel, Rapid Sequence Information. Um, we've got the, uh, we talked about Damar Hamlin on there. We've got some other stuff there. So go check it out. And with that, um, bye. Stay sweet. All right. Bye. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for taking a listen. Uh, If you are studying for the National Registry exam, we're here to help. We have a National Registry prep program uh, to help you pass that exam. Check us out at guardiantestprep.com. If you'd like continuing education credits uh, for listening to our podcast or watching this on YouTube, follow us at guardiancme.com. 100% free CAPSI credits. Uh, No matter what state or country you're in, uh, we're here to help. So, again, we thank you so much for listening. We hope you have a wonderful week.